Well, last week, I kind of left us with a cliffhanger at the end of the message. Um, in the message I shared with you, uh, in the, the first two words of our series, Life in Six Words, and the first two words were God and Our, and I asked everyone last week to kind of marinate in those words. I asked you to sit with those words, God and Our, and, and think about what your belief is with respect to those words. God, what do you believe about God as our creator? That God has literally created, he has created uh, you. He is the creator of all life. He's created you and he loves you passionately. This is what I talked about uh, last week, that God has created you and he loves you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I asked you to think about those words uh, that I shared last week. And then I talked not just about God, but I talked about our sins and I presented you to the case that, that our sins separate us from God. If you were not here last week and you missed, or you missed the message I shared online, I shared that, that I often feel, when I think about my sin, I feel like Pigpen in the Charlie Brown cartoon, the Peanuts cartoon uh, with Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz. I constantly feel that in my sin I am marked by dirt and grime, and our sin, my sin, your sin, our sin, keeps us separated from God. And I feel like I walk around in a, in a position of just being dirty. Well, today we're going to dig a little bit deeper, not just talk about our sins, but we're going to go a little bit deeper, and we'll look at the next two words in this Life in Six Words series. And we're going to look at the words sins and paying. God, our sins, paying. Now, if I took this rope and I laid this rope down the middle of the aisleway, and I was to say, okay, guys, I want you to just get on each side. So you guys are going to get in the back and you guys are going to come to the front. And we had a tug of war with this rope down the middle, right? What do you think would happen? Like, I'm looking at this today, and I'm looking at my, usually, this side is really, really full, and this side is, you know, is more sparsely done, because the sun kind of comes in, and, and you guys over here are always battling the sun. So usually I'd say this side would have more people than this, yeah, sunglasses, right, than this side. But I don't know, this looks pretty evenly matched today. I don't know, you guys, if I was to say, all right, let's have a church-wide tug of war, I don't know, who would win? It would be interesting to see who would win that battle. You know, constantly, you know, as I said, there's more people on this side, but I, I, would, I think this side would definitely give uh, this side a run for its money. Whenever we see a tug of war, whether it's some silly game that Pastor Doug's making up in the sanctuary, or if you were on some playground in the, most, in the local elementary school, tug of war is essentially a battle for control. Right? That's what it is. It's a battle for control. One side trying to win against the other side. In my sanctuary tug-of-war, the only winner is just going to be getting bragging rights, right, to say we wanted Pastor Doug's church tug-of-war, right? It would all be in good fun. But today I want to talk not just about that kind of silly tug-of-war, but I want to dig a little bit deeper, and I want to talk about a spiritual tug-of-war that's going on in all of our lives every single day. It is a tug-of-war between good and evil in our world and in our lives. Now, last week, we introduced the video, Life in Six Words, by uh, the artist Propaganda. It is a spoken word poem that summarizes the entirety of the gospel, life, into six words. 
And I want us to watch that video again. So take a gander here. Let's look again at the video, Life in Six Words by Propaganda. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong and species got deceived and started lusting for his job and odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding besides trying to prove God is like deep in a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet, the problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection, good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, cause even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying, it's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back, you owe him. Eternally separated, and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place, and that someone gotta be perfect, or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness his death 
functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered, because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him, and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. I want to ask, has anyone ever heard the term, the seven deadly sins? Some of you are nodding your heads. Seven deadly sins, do you think you could list them? what the seven deadly sins are? The seven deadly sins are an ancient list of core sins that seem to be common uh, to all of humanity. Uh, the list of seven deadly sins has been around for almost 2,000 years. And so some of the terms that were used that that list <clears throat> contains might seem a little strange to us. But if we take a closer look, I think we'll see that those terms, those words, those sins are still evident in our lives today. Here's the list of the seven deadly sins. Here they are. Rage, sloth, greed, and pride, envy, lust, and gluttony. Those are the seven deadly sins. Those are the ones that have been around for so many years. Now, if you look at these lists, can you see how these words are acted out in our lives today? Just here's a few examples taken from media headlines. See if these match up. The first one, rage. Rage. Headline, 15 die in a school shooting. We can see that in our world today. The next one, envy. Eight are dead in a drug gang war. Do we see envy in the headlines today? The next one, lust. Date rape is on the rise. Do we see that in our world today? The last one, gluttony. 71% of Americans are overweight. We see these words, these sins in our world today. When we look outside and when we look within ourselves, we see that evil is very real. It exists. It is present. But sin is a hard subject. Sin is a hard subject. We don't want to talk about the idea that we are sinful people. And we especially don't want to believe that uh, we have this sin because of something that two people did thousands and thousands of years ago. That we're responsible now because of what Adam and Eve did. We don't want to believe that or talk about that. We like to think of ourselves as independent. I'm an independent person. You're an independent person. We don't like the idea that someone else's actions have any influence on who we are today and can have a profound impact. But Adam and Eve aren't the only ones who've done something where their actions have impacted us. For example, the President of the United States, on behalf of all Americans, 
he represents America to the entire world. Whether you voted for him or not, whether you like the actions he's taken or not, that's immaterial. He acts on behalf of the entire country as our representative. His actions have ramifications on all Americans because of his position as what's called our federal head. That's the actual term. The term federal headship is a term in theology that is actually applied to Adam and Eve. Their choice to rebel against God and to declare themselves independent from God's guidance has been passed down to us. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be in charge. And to this day, we are still dealing with the tug of war of that battle with God. To this day. If you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. This is Paul talking. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought about death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin, yes, sin, cannot be removed by good deeds. We are like pig pen. When you hit the rewind button and you go all the way back in history to the Garden of Eden, you see that it's human nature to want power and control. It's within us. From the beginning, humility is, or humanity has attempted to remove the stain of sin by our good deeds. In Genesis chapter 4, the very beginning of the book, Adam and Eve's son, they had a son named Cain and another son named Abel. And Cain went off and, and he was a hunter. And he went and he had to bring an offering to God to say, thank you, God, for all that I have. And he went and as a hunter, he brought these vegetables to God as an appeasement for his sin. But God rejected Cain's offering. Why? Because it wasn't the best that Cain could give. As a hunter, he brought vegetables. Instead of what he had brought as, 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 his, as his main crop or his main take, he was a hunter, so he got animals. And so here God gave, uh, I'm sorry, here Cain gave God what was left over. He gave him what was left over. He didn't give him the best of what he had. He gave him what was left over. Cain was infuriated because God said, that's not what I want. I need the best from you. Cain was infuriated with God, that God wasn't satisfied with his half-hearted offering. And so out of anger, Cain killed Abel. He tried to use his good deeds to get in good graces with God, and God said, that's not what this is about. We go a little further in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. But he didn't give them the Ten Commandments to save them from their sin. God gave the law to show the Israelites that there was nothing they could do. There was nothing that they could do to live up to his perfect standards. He didn't give the law. Please hear me when I say this. He, God did not give the commandments to save them from their sins. He gave them the law to say, do you see, this is too hard for you. You can't do everything on this list. It is impossible for you to live up to this on your own. You need someone perfect to pay the penalty. And the story is told over and over and over. As a people... As a people, we don't like to depend on anyone, including God. We don't, want to we don't want to depend on anyone, including God. And so the law became a perfect set of rules that grew and grew into something that was impossible for anyone to keep. And so instead of looking to God in faith, many of the Jews looked to themselves 
And they thought, well, if I just keep this list, if I just do what I can do on this list, if I can do, do this in my own strength and keep the commandments, then I'll be good enough. But Isaiah tells us that God saw their righteous deeds like filthy rags. Even the best of their good deeds were filled with selfish motives. The third book of the Bible, Leviticus. God gave the Israelites the sacrificial system. Every time a Jew sinned, he or she was expected to sacrifice a goat without any blemishes, the perfection that God is looking for. Find a goat without, per, without blemishes, and that's what you were to sacrifice. Think about that. If you were a Jew in the Old Testament, you had to make a sacrifice every time you lied, every time you lusted, every time you gossiped, every time you complained or argued. I would run out of goats, and so would you. We would run out of goats. There aren't enough animals in the world that we could sacrifice for us to clean up enough to take this pig pen of a body and be able to allow us into the presence of a holy God. There's not enough sacrifice in the world. When we study the law of the Old Testament, we understand the sacrificial system, the way it was intended. We see that it was always meant to point inward, upward, and forward. That was the purpose of the sacrificial system. It was to point inward, to convince you of your sinfulness. If you were honest before God, you would see that you would soon realize there's not enough sacrifice that you can make to make yourself holy, to make yourself perfect. There's not enough that you could do to sacrifice for your sin. It pointed upward to make you then trust in God. It would put you forward, uh, put you upward so you could put your salvation in God alone instead of the sacrifices that you could make on your own. And then it pointed forward, ultimately, to the, the, the great sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would someday come and take away the sins of the world. The law was designed to point upward, or inward, upward, and forward, which is where we get our next letter. Payment. Yes, payment. As some of you know my story, Cindy and I, when we were younger, we had a son uh, born after Ben. And his name was Nate, and Nate was born with a heart defect. And the defect, defect took his life 13, years after, or 13 months after he was born, which was crushing to us. Um, as Cindy and I walked through those days with Ben, and uh, we spent hours and days in the hospital, he battled through uh, several surgeries, clinging to life. And as you can imagine, these were extremely... Uh, trying days for us. They were emotional, and there was a toll that, that came not just on our emotions, but also there was a financial, a crushing financial cost that came with Nate's medical condition. It was not something that Cindy and I outside, I mean, the insurance paid what it could do, but outside of that, there were tens and tens of thousands of dollars that was owed for a young couple starting out in ministry to have to pay. Insurance can only cover so much. And so as we were young and didn't have a lot of money, uh, the church I served at that time, they created an outreach fund uh, that helped us pay those bills. And I don't think it's a stretch for me to stand here today and to tell you that if it were not for that fund, we would still be paying off the bills. I mean, it was, it was a lot of money. We would still be paying off those bills. And it was an amazing gift that the church made they made a payment 
on my behalf that I could not ever do. That's what Jesus does for us in our sin. He gives what we cannot. There is no payment, there is no action, there is no sacrifice that we can give. There is no rule that we can follow that will make us okay with God. A perfect God always requires perfection in his presence. Jesus was perfect, and we are anything but perfect. Jesus came to the earth as the fulfillment of the law. We read about that in Matthew chapter 5. And the ultimate sacrifice, Luke chapter 24. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died in our place for our sin. When he died upon the cross, Jesus cried out the words, It is finished. What he meant by those three words is that the price for our sin was paid completely. It was, paid for, it was paid completely. And in a paradox that we will probably spend the rest of our lives trying to understand, God was fully, fully God in Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. A perfect human. He could die for other humans. That's the only way it could happen. In his perfection, he could die for us. As the true and living God, his payment for sin was infinite. Three days after he died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen by over 500 witnesses on at least 12 separate uh, occasions over the course of 40 days. Because he died, because he died, our sins are paid for entirely. And because he rose from the dead, we know that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is God. God in the flesh. As we've watched this video and we've discussed life in six words. Maybe this is news to you. Maybe you're hearing this afresh for the very first time. Maybe it's new for you that you hear me say that God wants a relationship. Perhaps you've never really gotten it in before in your head and in your heart that your sin creates a huge chasm between God and between you. And there's nothing that you can do to get across that chasm through your own efforts. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died in the place for your sins. And by Jesus, you can walk across his shoulders and find your way into heaven. Jesus paid the price for your sins by dying on the cross and by rising again. He paid the price because he loves you and he would rather die than live without you. As we're going to find out next week, there is a reason this is called the good news. In fact, some would even say this is the best news ever. Jesus died for you and for me, which means that the stink and the stain of sin no longer marks us. And next week, we're going to learn how we can live. We can live without that stain holding us back, chaining us and weighing us down. But today, if you've, ever, if you've never thought about Jesus forgiving you and removing that sin, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to do that today. I'm going to close for us in prayer. And for some of you, this might be the first time you've ever said some of these words that I'm going to say, truly from your heart. You may have heard them. But as a friend of mine liked to say, he said, I, you know, I went to Sunday school and I did all the different things that you're supposed to do as a Christian. He said, but I never really got until Jesus moved the 18 inches from my head to my heart. Maybe God's moving from your head 
to your heart today. You might have known all about Jesus, but today you're accepting that God loves you, even in your sin, that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin with his death. And you can live free because of the resurrection to life eternal. Now, for others of you, maybe you know that and you have made that move from your head to your heart. And this is just a time for you to recommit uh, through this prayer. I I encourage you to do that also. But wherever you are in your journey of faith, we're going to pray together now and thank God for this gift. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I am so grateful to you, God, for this message of the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you are teaching us and how you are speaking to our heads and to our hearts today. Lord, I thank you that in our brokenness, you are still God. Lord, though we are filled with sin, though we are marked by sin, Lord, though we are dirty and dusty and and grimy, Lord, in our sin, you still love us. And you have come in your perfection into the world to die on our behalf. Lord, that you have taken upon yourself our sin. And so, God, we thank you for that gift today. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who is saying this for the first time, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit to to fill them with joy. I pray that you would fill them with overflow and that they would understand, God, that you are capturing their heart and their head today and that life will never be the same from this day forward. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we are going forward into uh, this series that we will look forward to hearing about everyone and life next week. Lord, this is a gift for everyone and that we can have life and life abundantly for that is what you've created us to have. So Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this prayer. I thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Friends, if for some reason... Uh, This is the prayer that you have prayed for the very first time. And if you're online, I would encourage you also, please don't let the sun go down today without letting me know that. That's the one thing I would ask, is that now that you have made such a decision, that's never something that you should just hold in. That's something we should celebrate. Uh, Becoming part of the family of God is is a glorious thing. And so I would encourage you uh, today, if you are online, to to just reach out to me, uh, text me, let me know, uh, email me. If you're here today, please shake my hand at the back door and say, Doug, I prayed that prayer for the first time. I would love to know that, that this was a different experience for you, maybe than something in the past. I would love to know that too. And if you feel like God has just come alongside and encouraged you in what you've already committed, I would love to hear about that also. Because God, our sins, paying everyone life is indeed the best news that we will ever receive. Amen. Let's pray. God, I do thank you uh, for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for uh, this message of the gospel that you have given to us. I thank you for scripture that reminds us of your incredible love that is ever before us. I thank you for the community of faith that we can be a part of. Lord, that we don't do this world alone, but we are able to come alongside each other and love one another, support each other, have each other's backs in times of grief and difficulty. Lord, we pray that today, your church, that we would hear this message and we would be uh, solidified, that we would be strengthened, that we would become a force of good in a world of evil. Lord, may we shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go as your church. We pray this all today in Jesus' name.